Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's Word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the Word with us. John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It was revelation to me years ago that God is joyful. I mean, we can see him Sometimes the only way we see an authority figure in our life, and we don't see him as joyful. We see him as sometimes looking down on everything we're doing because we don't do things right all the time. And so we always get caught up in our own mind that he's got to be disappointed in what I did this week. He's got to be disappointed. And so we have a hard time seeing God as joyful. Let me just tell you, he not only has joy, he is joy. It's It's his makeup. And when you accept Jesus, that joy is available to you. And let's just go right back to the scripture, that it may be full, but it may not. And so I want you to know that at salvation you receive this joy, this excitement, this thrill that you don't even know where it came from. And so you're thrilled to be saved, but then a very short time, you start at times going, okay, well, I need that back. Or I remember how I felt the day I got saved. And Well, here's the thing. As Christians, you may have joy and you may not. And so I want to encourage you today, get your joy. Get your joy. Maybe it's get your joy back. Maybe it's an area of joy that you've never had it in. You need to get some joy. Now, it's hard to walk in joy. I understand that. It's hard to walk in joy because we live in a society that's so critical. So it's very difficult. Critical of everything and everyone. Now, please remember this. You cannot, you just can't enjoy people or things that you criticize. So whenever you're criticizing something, you're going to have a hard time enjoying it. In fact, you want to kind of run away from it. Now, that's not to say that we as Christians don't get to a place where we're not aware of sin. So we don't overlook sin. You, you don't correct those who are going to hurt themselves or others unless you can do it in love. I, I get all of that, but you, you got to know this. If you're not going to enjoy those you criticize, then I can also be said that you're only going to enjoy those you affirm or that you get in agreement with. And we, we don't spend time with people we don't affirm. You just always know that. So it's only those that you affirm that you're really in relationship with. You see marriages falling apart, it's because they're not affirming each other. Everything they do is coming against the other. And you just turn in before long, you don't even want to be married anymore. We don't spend time with people we don't affirm. So too many people only find affirmation 
in criticism. Let me explain that for just a second. We can hang out with somebody who we're in agreement with about something we're critical about. See, if we can if we can get critical about something that's going on in our world, then we can hang out with this person and we can go to lunch, we can go to dinner, we can hang out and talk about how horrible whatever the situation or maybe even person is. You know at work, you can get a group of people at your work that's real critical of their boss and before long all of them are just, and I'm just telling you, you'll get to a place where you're not enjoying going to work except for to talk about how horrible your boss is with the person. So you, what you don't realize is criticism demands agreement. But the fact is it's a perverted agreement. It's what the enemy uses to turn people against the goodness of life and what God has for you. I, I, As Christians, it's just next to impossible to affirm the body of Christ, the building, the the bride, when you don't go and spend time with any of those. And that's all of us sitting here today. See, recently I was reading posts online. Y'all, anybody read things online? Okay. So I'm reading this stuff online and I'm getting a little frustrated because all I was seeing was people making comments about how the church is a real problem. In fact, one of the posts I read was about people going to church that don't go to church any longer. It's not that they've never been to church. Their problem is they have been to church. That's why they don't go anymore. And I'm like, oh, so it's the church's fault. It's got to be the church's fault. That means really it, the church is the problem here. And so you're watching these posts blaming the church, blaming Christians, on and on and on. And what I'm telling you is, is these posts are doing a horrible thing. Because you have these posts talking about how horrible Christians or the church is, and then in the next post you're inviting them to come to church. Why would anyone want to come where you just said was the problem with our work? I, I just want you to hear me today. I wrote something about this, and maybe some of y'all read it, but for those of you that may not have social media or didn't read this, I really felt like that, that you ought to hear what my heart as pastor of Christian ministries is when it comes to the church. I want to be very careful that you don't find me putting down the church. I want to affirm the church. God established the church. He calls it the body of Christ, the building of Christ, and the bride of Christ. That's who we are as his people. And so here's what I wrote. Anytime you start posting about the local church, you should expect opposition from those who live in the you don't have to go to church to be a Christian camp. The problem with that position is that there are so many scriptures supporting the significance and role of the local church. While it is true that if you are a Christian, you belong to the body of Christ, making you a member of the global church, macro. It is also true that Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembling together with the local body of Christ, micro. Furthermore, 
The Apostle Paul wrote letters to personally encourage, admonish, correct, and teach several local churches as they met together in their communities. He helped them to deal with problems that were specific to their locations and demographics. Why would he address them as local churches and invest the time in teaching them how to handle problems that were very specific to them if he were really only addressing Christians as a whole? Much of his correction was regarding how they treated one another and how they addressed issues of sin within their local church. When someone puts down the local church, he or she is putting down God's people. After all, the church is the people. There's nothing excellent or praiseworthy when a professing Christian belittles other brothers and sisters in Christ. No one is encouraged or spurred on to do good works by that. When a person makes the excuse that the local church is not needed, he or she is actually proving the point that it is. See, one might ask, well, how could that be true? That person is showing the world that he or she is not studying the Bible for himself or herself to know what it actually says about the church. The local church that he or she is so quick to criticize and deem unnecessary could teach that person a lot. In Acts 2, the believers were all meeting together in one place. And in verse 42, we read that the followers of Christ were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were meeting together and they were being taught. That sounds like church, doesn't it? They were having fellowship together and the Lord added more believers to their fellowship each day. In Ephesians 5, Paul teaches about the fivefold ministry gifts given to equip God's people, the church. Where are these gifts to operate if not within the local church? I've heard the arguments of those who criticize the local church or downplay its significance. But I've also read the Bible and studied the word enough to firmly believe that the totality of the scriptures supports not only the existence of the local church, but also the necessity of it for spiritually healthy individuals and families. My observations are that people who are regularly involved in church on the local level are generally peaceable and kind, law-abiding and responsible. They are submitted to a moral code code that is written by God himself and the local church adds to their accountability to that code. There's no place that I would rather spend my time than the local church. I believe that if families would get back to centering their lives and activities around the local church, we would see our culture and communities be kinder and more law-abiding. I've seen and experienced the support and love of God's people in the highest and lowest moments. The church came alongside my wife and I as we raised our family, teaching the same biblical foundation that we were teaching them at home. The church isn't perfect because people aren't perfect. But God is. Throughout the Bible, God uses imperfect people to accomplish His tasks on the earth. When we lock arms together, we're exponentially stronger than when we're trying to navigate life alone. 
I can think of no other institution on this earth that does its best to teach the Word of God. The church has changed me, has shaped me, grown me, encouraged me, comforted me, and propelled me to love God and love people. I love the church. I support the church. I defend the church. And I thank God that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's what I said. And those are just my thoughts. Those are just my thoughts. And I wrote that, and if you want to find that, it is on our social media page. And I think it's important that we, the church, quit putting down the church. I think we as Christians have to live understanding every time you're putting Christianity down, you're not forwarding the cause of Christ. We have to learn to be affirmers. And I can tell you when you're not affirming, you're not looking like you're in joy. And if we're going to get our joy, we better watch being so critical. As Christians, we can talk about how horrible everything and everyone is, but no affirmation, I can tell you no joy. It occurred to me years ago when someone I am with is criticizing everyone that we both know, they're probably doing that about me when they're with others and not with me. Joy is so related to agreement that people who are critical are seen as having no joy. You need to understand that. It's really important. Because it's, it's one of these things in life that if you don't understand the joy of the Lord is our strength, then we've got a bunch of wimpy Christians out there trying to operate in criticism and they're not going to have the strength of joy. Because affirmation is a product of you having a joyful heart, a joyful life, and some strength. And so it's just important. Until you get in agreement with God and what he has asked, fullness of joy is very difficult. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I am really struggling with joy, then hear what I have to say today because I think it'll, I think it'll make a difference in your life. John fifteen ten, in the New Living Translation says, "When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love." Jesus said, "As I obey what God said, I remain in His love." And we got people who's who just thinking that Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations. Okay, what are commandments? Commandments are what God said to do. And he said, if you want to, Jesus himself said, I abide, I I spend time with, I'm in my Father's love because I do what he says. When you are a kid and you do nothing your parents say, do you really think you're in and abiding? No, you're trying to get away from them. You don't want your parents to find out anything you've been doing. And so when you're doing what God asked, it's easier to hang out with him. Jesus goes on to say, I've told you these things. All of these things are just so that you can be filled with my joy, that you you can be. Yeah, your joy can overflow. Now, I I ended last week talking about joy and happiness. And I I didn't get everything said that I wanted to, so I want to say it again and deeper. Happiness can come from the world around me. And I'm just telling you, I'm all right with being happy. 
And you've got to hear when I say I'm not putting down happiness. It, Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness is how we've got what's going on with our country and we declared our independence that we can pursue happiness in this country. So I'm all about happy. The Bible says, happy are those people whose God is the Lord in Psalms. And then it talks about happy as a nation whose God is the Lord. So I, 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 I'm not here to throw happiness, but happiness is a product of what is going on in the world around me. But joy originates directly from the spirit of the living God inside of you. So as you're a Christian, you need to know that happiness is conditioned and dependent upon what is happening to you. And I like being happy. I like coming home and my wife greets me with a big smile and just, oh, good looking hunk, come in here and give me a hug. I'm just telling you, that does something for me. And it makes me happy. I'm planting seed right now. I just want to... If people treat me good for whatever reason, if things are going well for whatever reason in my life, I'm happy. And I, I enjoy that, and everybody should. So please don't hear that this preacher is putting down happiness. I, I, I enjoy that. But you have to understand, when circumstances aren't favorable to a smile, when you do come home and she's had a bad day, and really the last thing she wants to do is take care of you, and you walk in and she don't greet me with, hey, you big hunk of love. Come. You know, you don't get that. And you're not, oh, this is such a joy to walk in this house. No, 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 you're not referring to joy. You're referring to happiness. And see, we get these things Joy derives from within, not circumstance. So the Spirit of God within man allows joy to remain in man. The Hebrew word for joy means to leap or to spin around with pleasure. To leap or to spin around with pleasure. I, I like that because I just want you to know that when you walk in the door and happiness is not produced, you still ought to have something that makes you be able to spin around. Maybe not in front of her, that may add to it. But there's a joy inside of you that's not derived from outside of you. In the New Testament, the word joy, when it is used, in the Greek refers to gladness, bliss, and celebration. Wouldn't it be nice if from inside of us we maintained a spirit of joy regardless of what's going on outside of us? I'm telling you, that's what everybody would like. And what I'm telling you is you can get it. Get your joy. Don't let the enemy rob you of what's yours. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. That Yeah, your joy will overflow. We have to know that God has a plan for us to live in his joy and actually get to a place of overflowing. I, I've seen people, I've seen churches lose their joy. I've ministered to churches that I'm telling you, that I, you you're, it's visible there's no joy here. And we at Christian Ministries Church have to be very careful not to allow ourselves to fall into this area 
of no joy. We've got to be very careful. It's a dangerous area. It's one of Satan's biggest weapons to destroy the move of God, the local church. It's just dangerous. And the enemy is stealing what God has given the church and his people to operate in. And we've got to be aware of his strategies. I I got some one, two, threes this morning. Are you ready? So one, two, threes that'll help us. And we've already talked about some of them, but these are areas that the enemy is working in the lives of God's people to get them to lose their joy. If you identify with any of these, here's what I want to tell you today. Just correct it, get your joy, and walk out of here and say, that's not going to get me no more. See, when you are aware of the devil's strategies, he has a bunch of plans in his playbook, and when they're exposed, you don't have a problem defending them and even defeating them. So number one. Having a critical spirit. We talked about it all last week, talking about it today. Not getting in agreement with the things of God and his commands. You're always trying to go against it and find some reason to debate what God said. And you're not using the Bible as an example. You're using the world's examples. Anytime you read something online, make sure you back it up with Scripture. Because you'll start believing something that a Christian said when it's in direct violation of the word. When you're not affirming anyone or anything, you're probably critical. And, 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 and here's what you might do. Go to a trusted friend that you won't get offended by and ask them, am I critical? That's a real broad statement. You want to get more specific, say, what areas do you think that I'm critical in? And if they can't come up with one, how do you hear me talking about my spouse? How do you hear me talking about my church? How do you hear me talking about my time with the Lord? Is it critical? Or See, there's just a lot of things, and you've got to be able to receive what others are saying. And here's the thing. I'm not here to tell you that, and I'd love for you to be so self-aware that you know those areas, but I think we've got into a culture now that's so bent on criticism that we don't even realize I'm doing that. So that's number one. Number two. Tool of the enemy. Pursuing happiness only and not pursuing joy. Getting caught up on the pursuit of outside successes can be dangerous when you haven't pursued God first. See, there's a lot of, I teach, I'm a big advocate of setting goals for your life and meeting them. And then go into the next one and go into the next one. Now, sometimes it takes some time. So you've got to have long-term goals. You've got to have short-term goals. And I'm not here to teach on all that. But most of that is not a pursuit of joy. It's a pursuit of things that you believe will make you happy. If I could just have a bigger bedroom, if I could just have a nicer truck, if I could just have a nicer boat, if I could just have a nicer whatever, I'm working towards this. And I want to tell you, I'm not here to condemn any of that. Praise God, you can work towards something. So we can pursue these things. But when you do that outside of a pursuit of God, first and foremost, he's not hiding from you. He's as close as the mention of his name. And when he's put in first position, then it brings a lot more significance to everything else. And sometimes it cuts some of those things out. Sometimes it's like, okay, that's not near as important. See, when we start pursuing happiness, we find that when we get there, we're happy. 
all is good until the next day, and what you just bought breaks down. And you're like, I was so happy when I drove this home, and now it won't start, and there's no happiness. In, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, what in the world? See, you're pursuing happiness only. Happy is good. When it's happy. But when happy is not there and miserable becomes how you're operating, then you missed the pursuit. What God said available with just Him. When joy occurs first, you have happy moments and you have sad moments. But the enemy can't rob you of the strength that joy brings to get you through the sad moments. Let me say that again. Because I, I, I really think you need to hear this. When we're happy, we're happy. But know this, we recognize happy because we know sad. Kind of the law of opposites. You know something's on because it's not off. You know something's hot because it's not cold. You know when you're in or when you're out because the law of opposites will tell you that. When you're happy, the law of opposite is sad. Sad doesn't have to create miserable. But the only way sad does not produce miserable is when joy is present before you pursued happiness. Have I lost you? Joy is necessary to give us the strength to get through the moments that aren't happy. And when joy is there, you'll have the strength to get on through that and pursue your happiness. And it didn't wreak havoc upon you. All right, number three. Believing that it's great for everyone else, but not possible for me. I know that person, they just always happy. Everything's going good in their life. And you've tried it God's way. And I mean, you were sold out, but you've decided that I'm going to back off a little bit. I, I, I mean, I thought it was great, but it's just not panning out exactly the way I thought it would. And I'm just, I'm just going to go to church on Sunday. I'm not going to be as involved as I, I'm not going to do everything that I did. I'm just going to kind of try to just a little bit because I got hurt and I, I don't know about. And see, hurt all comes because you're caught up on happiness and sadness. You're not caught up on joy. I'm just telling you, this church can't be messed with if we'll get this message. The enemy can't do anything to you when you're full of joy. So get your joy. Believing it's great for everyone else, but it's just not possible for me as a lie from the enemy. Joy is possible to you regardless of where you're at socially, economically, what job you have. Boy, if I could just have that job. And we get caught up on comparing ourselves to someone who we see having something we don't. And oftentimes, all we're trying to do is pursue being happy like they are. But a lot of times, you'll see joy present with someone who don't make as much money as you do. You're just not looking for it because you're caught up on the wrong thing. Peter is such a great example of this. He's a good disciple to look at and see what he did. Peter was the one that denied Christ. He was the one that was boastful and said, I'll never abandon you, Jesus. And, of course, he was the first one to run off and leave when it got really tough. I mean, I think Peter, of all the other characters in the Bible, of all the people that the Bible described, Peter's the guy that a lot of us can probably relate to, especially in this area. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Y'all still with me today? 
good, good, good. Matthew 16, verse 13. Peter hits a home run here. And I love, I love it when God's people hit a home run. And Peter did. He's with Jesus. And in verse 13 of Matthew 16, he says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked them, But who do you say I am? Right then, Simon Peter answered, You're a Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from just any human being. And now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I I, I mean, think about this. Jesus saying that to say, say it right to your face. You're sitting there talking to Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You can bind things. You, you can lose things. You, you, you got a lot of affirmation from Jesus. Now, four verses later, I, I, I want to tell you this is why I can relate. And probably a lot of us can. I mean, I, I feel sometimes I, I just can hit a home run with God. And I feel like he's just speaking right to me, and it's just like, boy, that was, that was good, son. I I want you to know I appreciate you standing bold there. I appreciate you loving me. I appreciate you loving them when they were unlovable. I mean, I, I appreciate all you're doing. And I just feel like some of you did good. I mean, you ever, maybe you've never felt that way. But when you just feel like you're walking in the spirit of God, I mean, kind of where you woke up and, and, and you, could, you could charge hell with a water pistol. I mean, just life is good for you. And about five minutes later, you feel like you're slime of the earth. Matthew 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would raise from the dead. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him and saying things, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this is never going to happen to you. Jesus just said, this is what's going to happen to me. And Peter goes, this is not going to happen to you. If you're going to argue with somebody, my recommendation is not Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're dangerous trapped to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. That is the exact illustration of happy and sad Versus joy. You're seeing only from a human perspective, not from God's. And so you're thinking this is a bad thing, and you were called Peter, the rock. I'm building my church on that revelation. I mean, Peter, that was awesome. I'm, you just, things are loose, things are bound, all because of your understanding of who I am. This is awesome. I mean, Peter's sitting here going, oh, thank you, God, thank you. 
Thank you, God, I receive all of it. Thank you, God, I receive all that. Get behind me, Satan. Well, how did I go from there to... Because we need to recognize that our need is Jesus. And he's the one that tells us what's going on, what's not going on. Yeah, I mean, we've got to understand it's, it's real simple. Just do it his way. Just do it his way. How in just a couple of senses did Peter go from being the rock to being Satan? I, I just think all of us have had days like this. Now, I, I want you to understand, we read that, and then that's in the early days of Peter. The excitement and the thrill is all there. I watch young people all the time, and their excitement and thrill to do things is like, yeah, you go. And I'm like, I would never do that. I mean, their excitement for the thrill of things in life is just all about it. And I was there. I get that. But now that I'm pushing in the 50 area, it's, it, 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 I think about what it's going to feel like when I get out of bed in the morning. Peter is, is writing here in 1 Peter chapter 1 from a different maturity level than he was when he was there with Jesus reprimanding him. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. He's not giving a bunch of commands and he's not reprimanding. Verse 6. Peter says, so be truly glad. Hey, guys, there's wonderful joy ahead of you. Even though you've got to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. And though you don't see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Boy, that's a big word. You can do that right now even though you've never seen him. That's what Peter's saying. Hey, you guys, you can do this. I understand that there's trials. He's not saying that you're not going to have trials. But the trials don't produce anything but happier sadness. Joy comes from a deep relationship in knowing him. Even though you've not seen him. So what's that? Faith. Faith in his word. Be truly glad. Be truly glad in verse 6. Don't act like you're glad. Be glad. Don't just act like you're glad. Be glad. Joy is ahead. Let's get this. Don't be surprised by trials. Don't be surprised. It's not a matter of if you're going to have one. It's not going to be a matter of if you're going to suffer grief, sadness. That's going to happen. But let me remind you of the words of Jesus. Some of his final words, by the way, to his disciples. This was not spoken to the crowd when Jesus said in John 16, 33, he was talking to a small group, to his buddies, to his friends. And he says, I've told you these things. So that in me, you can have peace. In this world, in this temporary world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So in this world, there's going to be issues, but you need to take heart. Hold on. I got it. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. This is all temporary. Guys, this is temporary. Yeah. Well, I'm just going through something. I understand that, but it's temporary. 
You're going to get through it. Take a deep breath. Lift up your head. I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying, these trials just show your faith is genuine. And when your faith is shown as genuine, guess what happens? Your joy overflows. And when your joy overflows, you got strength. Keep your faith strong. Endure these trials. Christian ministries, hear me today. You nor I are beyond a trial. So don't be letting the enemy rob you because you're going through something. You're not in right standing. The enemy tries to ruin your life by telling you, you must not have enough faith. No, it's in the trial that you exhibit. You show it. You show your faith. And when you have faith, you, you understand that the product of that is following what God said because faith comes by hearing and hearing what he said. And when you're hearing what he said, not having heard, present tense, hearing, you're hearing what he has said, it's at that point that you, I'm going to be okay. I got faith to see us through. It proves something. It reveals something. See, right now, as the economy is ebbing, not, not really what I'm looking for right now, the interest rates and all, that shouldn't be what causes marriages to go bad. What it happens is it reveals cracks that were already there that weren't full of joy. Amen. Suffering and grief, it just reveals something. Suffering and grief reveals something. Real quick, I can tell someone that's going through and suffering and in grief, and we can weep with them as the Bible tells us to, what I'm telling you is it'll reveal something about whether or not they're operating in faith and having the strength, joy, to get them through. We've got to do what Peter did, and he lived it out. And here's the thing. Peter was saying, guys, I saw this, and you guys didn't. I was walking with Jesus. And I just want you to know, Peter's trying to encourage him, and right now I'm trying to let Peter encourage you and me. He's saying, come on, Peter's saying, I saw him. I saw him. I saw the holes in his hands. I saw him after he was resurrected. I walked with him. I talked with him. I prayed with him. I heard the problems. I heard the, the, the victories. I heard all the parables firsthand. I was there when he fed the 5,000. I was there when he opened the eyes of the blind. I was there when he raised the sun back from the dead. I was there, and it should have been easy for me. But I'm telling you, it was tough for me. Man, you guys are awesome. He was affirming God's people. He's actually giving them a compliment. And he's saying, listen, you've not seen any of these things, yet you believe. It was a marvelous thing to Peter that God's people could see spiritually what he had seen physically. And he was starting to... In his older years, I mean, he's probably in his 60s and all this was happening. He's like, whoa, inexpressible joy. I'm watching you walk in inexpressible joy. It's like, whoo, you're dancing and you're spinning and I know what you're going through right now. That's joy. Yeah. You have reason to be sad, no doubt. But you don't have reason to not have joy. Yeah. Wow. So get wow. you some get you some. People are wanting to be around people who have authentic joy. I know no one who says, I just need to find somebody really critical and negative today because I haven't had my fill of that. I, I don't, nobody says that. 
wonderful, authentic, inexpressible joy. I hope that as you heard that today, you realized it's not a product of happy or sad that gives you strength. It's the joy of the Lord. And all you got to do is say, I'm going to get it. Well, how do I get it? I just confess that there's an area I've been critical in. There's an area that I've been pursuing happiness instead of Scripture. There's an area that I've been comparing myself to everybody else and think I'm just probably not worthy of it. What I'm telling you is those are lies from the enemy, and that is not true. How about getting some joy in your life? Y'all stand with me this morning. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.